congregation was used to guest speakers, and one Sunday morning they had a particular speaker. At the end of the service, he stood dutifully at the back and shook hands with people as they came out. And one little boy came up to him and said, Pastor, wait a minute, and he dug deep in his pocket and he brought out some coins and he put it in the pastor's hand and the pastor said, shouldn't this be for Sunday school or the offering? He said, no, no, pastor. He said, don't worry about it. Take it. He said, there's more where that came from. And the pastor said, well, what do you mean there's more where that came from? And he said, oh, don't worry, pastor. He said, I'll take care of you. And the pastor said, well, that's great, but why do I need taken care of? And he said, I overheard mom and dad say you're about the poorest preacher we ever had. I'll be collecting change uh, as we go. Dear saints of God at Spencer, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, this morning it's not quite right, really. It's the same place you usually gather, kind of the same time, depending on how you set your clock yesterday. But it's not the same guy here. Pastor Caldall is taking a knee and I'm up here. It's not quite right. Something's not quite right. We have some similarities, obviously. Pastor and I both get to stand up somewhere every Sunday and bring the good news of salvation and God's grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus. We don't talk about things like it's a great economy out there. We don't talk about things that you may hear a lot on the news about what's necessary in public education or the need for public health care or elder care in one way or the other. In fact, if we preached about those things, well, it just wouldn't be quite right. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever gone to a concert of a well-known musical artist and they sing their signature classic hit, only they sing it to a different tune? It's just not quite right. Or how about if there was a well-known classic movie that you'd seen forever and they decided to rework it and you went to see it for the first time and instead of that favorite scene of yours being there, it had been cut and it was something totally different. Kind of like if in Wizard of Oz there was no longer a tornado, no longer a house falling on a witch. It's just not quite right. Something not quite right happened to that hit Western classic television show of yesteryear, Gunsmoke, for those of you that remember it, in the 1970s. It was filled up each week with storylines, but there was always some six-gun violence part of it, a key part of their message of justice. In 1973, however, they removed the violence from Gunsmoke. Marshal Matt Dillon's gun remained in its holster, Gunfights became a thing of the past. The culture was changing, and their notion of peace and harmony was gaining ground, except it wasn't quite right. That same year, the Supreme Court of the United States decided a hallmark case that opened up what was supposed to be a peaceful door to incredible violence. And that historic decision was called Roe versus. Wade, and it removed the crime of killing from the murder of preborn babies. And the court, in its earthly wisdom, ruled that it was okay, it was peaceful even, to take that life so that the way of life of the mother or father could be preserved. 
It sounded good to the culture. But you know, to we Christians, it just didn't seem quite right. And now we know it's not right. Not at all. Since that cultural decision has brought about the death of about 50 million innocents since 1973. 24 years after that, 24 years after Gunsmoke lost its violence, but the abortion clinics began theirs, in 1997, a single state in the Northwest passed another so-called peaceful piece of legislation. At least it looked that way and it was sold that way to the voters. But it too wasn't quite right. You see, Oregon passed the very first peaceful death bill, death with dignity, allowing folks to choose peaceful death as an option to avoid predicted suffering. Die early and forget what's ahead. And in certain countries in Europe today, that peaceful death option has been extended to parents who have children who may be up to two years of age, who they and some council of others decide their quality of life just won't be quite right, and they could be granted a peaceful death. We know the story of sin and dying. You and I might even welcome the thought of us being the master of death's hold on us, its timing and its circumstance, but deep down, In our hearts, we know it's just not right. Life belongs to the Creator, and that ain't us. And suffering is a part of the sinner experience, not just part of sinner punishment. You see, it's a powerful tool of the Almighty to draw us closer to Jesus when the situation looks most dire. I see this almost every day in a care facility where people are facing their final hours. In fact, suffering is the Holy Spirit's nine iron, I guess. If you have a favorite club in golf, that's mine. It's that club you go to. And for the Holy Spirit, suffering is one of the best ways that He works. Not that you don't need all those other clubs in your bag, that club of joy, that club of love and peace and neighborly care and forgiveness. You need them all, but your game would surely suffer without that one club that you have go to. And in fact, all life suffers when we never do. So one of my purposes today is to convince and enroll all of you in an effort of the church, the work of Lutheran Family Service and our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and that work is for life in the public square. But if we did it just as a public strategy to fix society, well, you know, that still wouldn't be quite right. Even if we won and all abortion was stopped or all old age euthanasia things were stopped. You see, Jesus didn't come to fix society. That's not our job. That's not our aim either. Though sometimes we fool ourselves and think that's what we're about. Creating that perfect utopian society that God would take great pleasure in for us every day. So we're not in this effort solely to cease barbaric practices or to put violence back in old TV westerns. You see, God is sending me to you this morning with a special message of His peace because of the violence and death suffered for you by our Lord Jesus. 
the Lamb that we heard about when Leonard read from Revelations this morning. This is All Saints Day, and how appropriate that the church theological gurus appointed for today a lesson from the Apostle John that makes it plain. You know, I really can't say it any more sweetly than he does when he says this to you. Here's the good news. How great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are, he said. So here's the part of the good news hour here at Spencer. You are all saints of God, people made holy by the blood of the Lamb, as John wrote in Revelation. And because of that, you are totally right with God. Not only are you, like maybe Peter so artfully phrased it, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, you are adopted into His family as His own dear child. And part of that new family identity carries with it a strength to do something right. Not to change laws necessarily, certainly not to hide in our churches from those who would change the law against us. Rather, our job is to show the centrality of Jesus, the power of His forgiveness, the joy of being a holy child of God, even in a sinner body and mind. And what else? John goes on to say that our job is proclaiming. He says, proclaiming the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, dear saints, how do we do that? Well, deep in my heart, I hope that our church, I hope that this church becomes such powerful voices for God's plan for life that all those ungodly laws are rolled back. But I know that's not quite right, and that's really not our mission. You see, Jesus didn't come to straighten up Jewish legalism or to fix Roman paganism or to cure modern liberalism, that's not what He did. He came to change you, to purify the hearts of sinners. He didn't come to break our sinner habits so that we became perfect. He came to purify our corrupted and corroded humanism. Each year, a couple of those organizations that I work for, Lutheran Family Service and Perry Lutheran Homes, do some incredible work. And you all should pay close attention to it, not just because they do good work, but frankly, you all are the owners of Lutheran Family Service. It was the first mission formed of the Iowa district back in 1901. It's the only mission of the district that stayed together when the two districts parted east from west. And since that time, Lutheran Family Service has been serving the needs of the orphan, the widow, the disease, the neighbor, the church bringing Jesus into lives and situations one or two or many at a time. Some of you may know Lutheran Family Service well. You may have even experienced Lutheran Family Service through adoption or counseling or some other way. If that's new news to you that you own us, then you ought to take it to heart because, frankly, we're being sent today more and more into the halls of government with God's message of life on behalf of our church. It's important work, and it's critical to have the support of our church in what we're doing. 
so that we continue that godly message of changing hearts to Jesus. And for those of you who have been faithful supporters of us from your charity, I know many of you do, or those of you that have used our services or perhaps adopted a child through us or know somebody that has, or maybe you pray for us regularly, maybe you send us your gifts, I say thank you. It's needed. Today we still find families for orphans, now up to 3,000 little ones or so. We've made sure to keep focused on what God wants in family, and in particular for those little orphans, their special nature as children of God. It's the highest identity that you and I ever have. And if someone were to look at us, though, with 1901 spectacles, we'd look familiar, but not quite right. You see, we've been called upon to change as the church saw need over time. We do mental health work. We do healthy marriage work. We do mission work, actually, in the largest tribe of people that have never heard the name Jesus. And no, that's not one of the places that you might think it is. It's not in sub-Saharan Africa or remote Brazilian rainforest. It's not a place that our friends at Mission Central will come sign you up for. The largest tribe of people that have never heard the name Jesus live among us. Maybe in Spencer, certainly in Sioux City, in any town of any size, in laboratories. Little babies who are 8 to 12 cells big, we call them snowflake babies. Little embryos who Jesus knows and died for, boys and girls already known to God something that Lutheran family service takes on because life is what we do. One of our newest jobs at Lutheran family service, working with our partners at Perry Lutheran Home, the third oldest mission of our district, by the way, is to speak up as boldly as we can for God's plan and for God's ownership of life. Each year we work to build a message of hope. Each year we work to build a cadre of supporters and to engage and energize our pastors and our people so that we might be heard at the state house and in government. And let me remind you, if we were only out there as another group of lobbyists to have our way, well, that wouldn't be quite right. Remember, Jesus didn't come to fix government, and Lord knows it's broken Last year, we were instrumental in getting a heartbeat anti-abortion bill passed here in the Iowa legislature, one of the hallmark decisions across the country for life. And after a few months, a single Supreme Court justice in our state, a man supposedly dedicated to peace and justice, did neither, but instead did great harm to thousands of innocents by declaring that he found in the Iowa Constitution that every Iowan has a right to abortion. It's not in the words. It was in the air. Something we must work to change through political advocacy and tools of political influence. And those are the methods and tools that we use, but the heart of our efforts will always be the heart of Jesus. And that's right. Here's the truth for you and me and all the children of God. We are aliens in this culture, and it's never been more clear in this generation than now, in this society. 
We're part of this culture, but we're not of it. We live here, but we know that's not quite right. And Paul speaks to us when he warns us not to be yoked to unbelievers, and that really is profound if you think about it. He doesn't mean withdraw from the world and find an island somewhere. He simply puts in front of us a contrast that's very stark, the contrast of a Christian in the culture. He says in 2 Corinthians, For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, he says. God is clear that He's our God and He walks among us, but He commands us, even as we walk with others, to be separate. He's calling us to live separate as His children, right where we are in the middle of this culture of death. And He commands us to speak up. In the Proverbs, we listen as He says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy, of the snowflake, of the orphan, of the preborn, of the elderly or the infirm. That's what we're called to do. But different than all others claiming for their rights before assemblies and men, we're called to speak for God, but the outcome isn't on us. If we cannot pass laws to make society better or perfect, that's in God's hands. But we are called to action, to speak, to do, to show those changed hearts that we have, to call people not to change the world, but to change hearts with the good news of something far better than anything else in all of creation. You see, we have a new life, an abundant new life an abundant eternal life. It is our Lord who is the life of the world and the master of all of ours. And He is the only answer to sin and dying, the only answer to your sin and to your death. It's that same wonderful Lord who calls His children to follow Him into Cairo Preservation Laboratories, into the lives of those who are mentally sick, into the lives of those suffering from disease or marital discord, into care facilities, into hospitals, into courthouses, into state houses. And it's always because even in the midst of this culture and this time, we live in the Lord's house. And we are, as Scripture reminds us, the temple of the living God, people whom God to speak the truth, to love our enemies, to be just a little different than those who don't know God, to be the hope people in every situation and even in every sin. Before I close, let me speak to those of you who may have had a personal experience with this culture of death, just to you who may have sinned by ending a preborn child's life or by permitting an elder child life to be cut short. Just to you, know this, you are forgiven. 
that same God who has named you his child loves you as passionately as ever. And he wants for you only his peace. And let me assure you, you have it. Dear child of God, you are forgiven. No doubt, that sin is gone. So I want to thank you, brothers and sisters at First English, invite you to come to Bible class to hear a lot more about this. But frankly, there's a lot of work to do to change hearts, especially those hearts in government. And I hope you'll join us at Lutheran Family Service and Perry Lutheran Homes in speaking up gently but boldly for what God wants. You see, His primary purpose is not new laws, but rather new hearts, purified by His message of peace and grace. And that's what you have to bring into this fight. That's what you have as aliens living in this world. You have the Holy Spirit walking with you, pointing the way to real peace, the peace of heaven that really does pass all understanding, the peace that makes everything exactly right, made so in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. I pray that you join us in this effort, dear saints. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our new hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.